Because if I ask you a question, you cannot not answer it in your head. I need to answer the question that you just asked, even if it was a rhetorical. You're like, I can't have this open loop in my head. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. On this episode, we're talking with John Heffron. He's the winner of Last Comic Standing and has numerous comedy specials from Comedy Central all the way to Netflix. Today, we'll discuss how he reads a crowd and how we can use psychology and related skills to do what he does as a comic on stage. We'll uncover how he reads the crowd and audience in real time and take some tips and tricks we can use for ourselves whenever we're speaking in public. We'll also learn different ways to anchor and connect various types of body language and nonverbal communication to get the right reaction from those with whom we're interacting. And we'll discover something John calls charisma patterns, personality archetypes that audience members have that require different energy levels, different types of interaction and engagement. And we'll learn how he moderates this all in real time while doing a show and how we can apply this for ourselves. As always, there are worksheets for today's episode so you can make sure you solidify your understanding of the key takeaways here from John Heffron. That link, as always, is in the show notes at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. Now, let's hear from John Heffron. So I understand that comedy is a skill set, and I also understand that reading the audience, crowd work, and that type of stuff is a skill set, but What I don't really understand is how people build that. And yeah, practice makes perfect, but what are you looking for? I mean, do you go out on stage and think, I gotta figure out what this audience is thinking or what's in this audience's mind? How does this process begin? I just wanna preface this by saying that this works for me. Probably if you were to ask another comedian, they'd be like, well, that's dumb. I don't even think about doing it Sure, yeah. I just, I'm just a little geeky and tend to overanalyze situations. And also, I do a lot of sidetracks, but your listeners will be able to follow me. I'm really into music. So ever just hear a song that you've maybe heard 5,000 times? Sure. And then one time you're like, I didn't know that bass line was there. I didn't know that they had a triangle during the whole song. You hear something that you've never heard before, but that song was awesome to you the entire time just because there's all these layers, right? So- almost like getting, I'm going to geek out again, but almost like if you're looking at a painting, you know how light can change the meaning of painting? Yeah. I yeah. think with stand-up or if you're giving a speech, some of the things that I do changes it like that. If you didn't do it, maybe it'd still be the same. But if you do do it, they're like, that looks pretty beautiful. It's almost like, what was that dress where they're like, is it gold or is it orange or is yeah. it blue? And I've done stand-up comedy for almost 30 years now. And I think some of the things that I do get you out of tougher situations. I try not to give advice to younger comics because, like, one, they don't appreciate it. (laughs) But you can see them trying to deliver a joke and go, hey, here's a couple things you can do that will change the meaning of the joke. Or the audience will get to like you quicker. Which could be applied to anybody listening to this who, if you have to give a speech, if you have to give a sales meeting in front of your public speaker, if you speak to more than two people. People always think that you have to be in front of thousands of people. But if you're addressing three people two people, you're public speaking. You have to do the same things that you would have to do in front of a thousand. So what are some of those things? For example, if you're examining a crowd, do you think about the crowd before you get up there? Are you thinking, I'm in Fresno, maybe this is a working class crowd more so than, or is that happening all on stage? I think I grew out of that. There used to be a thing where you would look at the crowd and go, what does the crowd want? Mm -hmm. You kind of gave the crowd that power that they get to program what's going to happen. Then you get a little bit older and bitter where you're like, you know what? They're going to get what I give them because I've been wrong. I've sat in back of a crowd, saw people getting, I'm like, oh, this crowd's heckly or they're younger than me. Those guys look like bikers. Yeah. You know, that guy's going to heckle or this table. And then I've been wrong where the table who I thought was going to be a problem laughed the whole time. And the two ladies who look like they're elementary school teachers from Ohio you know, acted like the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't really judge the audience unless you're doing a corporate event. If you're at a comedy club, that's different than if you're performing at a corporate event, which I do a lot of them. So now every one of those audiences are going to be a whole different makeup. They're going to be sure ninety percent dudes from a sales team. You know, depending on the industry, if it's a tech, if it's a money, those are all different shows. If they're car salesmen. It's a whole different vibe on each one. So you kind of have to, you know, adjust. If you know you're doing a show for 
LinkedIn. How are you changing what you're doing in the room? I will change it up if it's the industry. I do a lot of relationship stuff, but I apply a lot of it to tech stuff. So if in that example, I'll probably, this isn't how I do the bit, but I'll ask yeah, my yeah. wife a question and then I store the info on her. I basically use my wife as the cloud and I'll, I'll do more tech examples right? Okay. for that crowd opposed to if they're car salesmen. You know, some of my bits are mad libby in the sense sure. that I can just change the content, sure, but sure. it's the same joke. I'll kind of do that going in to a situation. Like if it's a corporate event, I know who's there. I know yeah. the competitors. I have like a list of questions I, I ask just so it's in my head. Right. You ask the event planner. All right. You're LinkedIn. Who's your chief competitor? Oh, other social media. Or what not to say. Right. I've seen that happen before. Really? I saw Blue Man Group. I did a show with them. Whatever drums, whatever paint cans that they smashed their whole show, that was the competitor's paint than the corporate we were doing. Oh, yeah. So sometimes, you know, you have to be careful. I've done shows where it was like a copy company and you might say Xerox. Yeah, sure. Kleenex just as like, so then I grabbed the Kleenex instead of tissue. Where this you, is the Scott Paper Company. Yeah. And so, we hate Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, the, you know, that happens. That's interesting. So that's just sort of basic situational okay, yeah, awareness. Yeah, that's just so, yeah, you get a vibe for the show. I, I forgot the original question, but- No, because I took us off track there, but I'm curious, what do you do in the first, say, five seconds when you walk out on stage? My hunch was you look and you say, that's the heckle table, these guys are bikers, but you don't do that anymore. Are you focused on what you're going to do or do you still I analyze do a couple, the audience? So if we go the first five seconds before I walk on stage, and again, you can apply this if you're giving any type of speech presentation or even going in and talk to your boss. I do a lot of NLP kind of self-hypnosis type stuff. So what I do is there's one little to get my nerves or to get my brain thinking that I'm on performance mode. I do a thing with my thumb and I'll explain it the best that I can. I put my thumb kind of at my palm. So I'm almost hiding my thumb. Okay. So it's like a punch only your thumbs on the inside. Yeah. So... When you do this, you want to do it with a motion you wouldn't normally do. So it's got to be, right? And then I squeeze and I squeeze that thumb. And what I do is anytime I'm in a good mood or like when I come in the house and my dogs are all excited to see me, I'll squeeze that thumb. So what I'm doing, it's almost like a bank account where I'm yeah. putting positive. This sounds uh, like but I put positive energy into that thumb. So it's almost like it's conditioning. It's a little hokey, but you're trying to anchor positive feelings it's to exact, the thumb, yeah, thumb squeeze. So what I do is I do that before the show because sometimes, let's say I'll be on my phone, I'll be scrolling social media, or I'll be talking to another comic, mm. and then I hear my name. And then suddenly now I'm on stage. John Heffron. Yeah. Like, oh, crap. So I, I take a yeah. moment, and that's almost like when I wrestle, we had like these wristbands around our wrist, that like a uh, rubber band. And to get you in the wrestling mood, you'd snap it. So I'll do that as I'm walking on stage just to go. It's game time. Whatever's going on before the show, whatever you have to do after, none of it matters because you're right here. So that's the first five seconds is you squeeze. So I'm not thumb. even on stage yet. And this you is just me looking at the crowd. And then I also, again, a lot of comics would be like, what are you talking about, dude? But I have this like, it's not a fake smile, but I, I'm purposely doing this right now. Just because if you have that like mopey face, get on stage. So I'll purposely will smile because my whole thing is to get out of the boredom that I am probably 23 hours before I went on stage. That's my okay. hole that I'm fighting out of is I just yeah. traveled nine hours, 10 hours. Right. You just had checked in a hotel. I'm starving because there wasn't yeah. no food. Sure. So I need to not go on stage with that shitty energy because that's not my act. People want to be entertained. They don't care that you. Yeah, I don't ate. care if you didn't get your chicken yeah. tenders in. Oh, yeah, you ate Chipotle at 10 a.m. Yeah. Now it's 8 p.m. Don't oh, care. I don't I just, care. Yeah, I spent 26 bucks. Yeah. Got a babysitter. I'm on a date. Yeah, yeah do it. Make yeah, me laugh yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah. So I'll do that if I'm being introduced or if there's a, a feature comic before me. See, every situation, sometimes when you do a corporate event, it'll just be the voice of God. So it'll be a thousand people talking. Ladies and gentlemen, please have uh, John Heffern. And then you walk up and it's just nothing. You know, they don't know why you're there. So every situation, I just add all this stuff to my bandolier. So then okay. when stuff goes down, I have options. 
right? Corporate events must be tough, man, because I'm imagining some crowd that's like, I didn't pay to come here. I'm getting paid to be here. What's for dinner? This retreat is getting old. The yeah. event and breakouts for nine hours. And I'll even use this as an opening line. Not exactly, but I'll tell the guys in the room because it's usually 95% men. I'm like, you guys enjoy yourself laughing at me or they're going to add another breakout session, <laughs> a motivational speaker. Use me as an excuse. When you call home, say we had a comedian, John Heffern. He was hilarious. He went long. So I just bought you 30 minutes of off the grid time. Right, right. If you're a married guy, that 30 minutes, that could be important. It's two drinks. Yeah. Or if you're away from your kids for a second, you want to call home to see if your husband, how they're doing. You're like, you know what? I'd rather just go. So assuming that I'm at a comedy club, I'll watch the comics in front of me just to see how they're doing. Not to listen to their bits, but just to see how they're performing. Like if they're doing really well or if they're doing really bad. I'll see their style, and then I kind of make some tweaks. This is where, like, again, other comics would be like, no, I just go up and do me. Again, for your listeners, if we're applying this to people who are giving speeches or, or whatever, this is a really good technique that I like to use. And I'll break it down into his speech and where he's standing, because all this makes a difference. Let's say he's standing where you'd expect a comic to stand, not moving, Mike stand in the thing. Let's just assume it's that guy. Let's say he's just kind of talking like this and he's so then my dog, blah, 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 blah. And he's not getting last. What I'll do is I'll get on stage and I'll do the opposite of what he was doing if he did bad. So if he had stood in the center with the mic in and talked slow, first thing I do is when I get on stage is I'll walk to the mic, take it out of the stand, go stand at a different place on the stage, and I'll talk fast just to show that. It's a different channel. Now. So it's like the opposite of anchoring. You're like, hey, I don't want to resemble the last guy in any way so that all the preconceived notions you have from this last comic that you didn't like are just left with him. It's kind of a fine line because I've done, I did a big medical company and the guy who introduced me was like this Nobel Prize winning doc, but he talked. He was a scientist that sounded like a scientist. So I went on stage and I actually did exactly what he did because he's not a comic. When I got on stage, instead of being my hyper mumbly guy that you guys are hearing now, I was like, hey, everybody, thank you for Dr. Da -da -da. I'm, I'm looking forward to thing. And then as I started talking, then I started to pick up my pace a little bit. And then I started taking it to where I, where if I jumped on stage, it was like, Hey, blah, 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 blah. people would be like, it's a little whoa, 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 let's, okay. let's slow it. I jumped ahead. A so also where the guy stand is, I'll change up. Or oh, if he's killing, then that's when I will do what they were doing. So you match their energy in the beginning and you either guide it somewhere new away from them if they weren't doing well, or you leave it right where they were because they were doing, if they were doing really well, you just kind of piggyback off that and just keep it going. Yes, because- you know, sometimes you have your feature, whatever is really funny. The crowd really likes that guy. And then when he's like, okay, I got to go. I've seen the crowd go, oh, so what I'll do is I'll go up. And if he's, you know, holding the mic and he's got the mic stand with his hand on top of the mic stand, if he's that guy, I'll do that. I'll go, let's hear it for Jason. David did a great job. And I'll stand like him. So they go, oh, he's like this guy. That's a really good idea. And I mean, I know you know that it's brilliant because you don't have to reinvent or reprogram the audience every single time you get up on stage, unless they have a negative program, which is, wow, that last guy sucked so much. When do we get out of here? These corporate things are always so stupid. Then you get up there and you go, hey, that last guy stood in the middle. I'm standing in the corner and he was really monotone and I'm really energetic. And they're like, all right, I got to recalibrate to this guy. They might give you a fresh chance at proving that it's worth their time. Yeah, and some comics have just this, just a bad vibe. Oh, yeah. Or let's say, because my act is so, I'm not dirty. So if a guy in front of me is, you know what the problem with Trump is? Like, if he's that guy, I don't want that energy. I'll take my mic and I'll go stand in the far corner until that area gets- Sort of know, dissipates a little bit. Yeah, you fluctuate. Yeah. You're using different areas of the stage. It's clear that if someone's standing in the middle- they're using that area of the stage for something. You'll stand in the corner. If they weren't killing it, you'll stand in the middle and take off right from their exact posture if they were doing well. If this is like a 30-second or less thing so that you can continue, you can pick up the wave. You can ride the same wave. What do you use the other areas of the stage for? So if you're 
start in the middle because it's great. You move to the left, you move to the right. What are you trying to set up with this dynamic? I have a couple spots and I don't go, okay, stage left is this. It's almost like an instrument where every show I'll change it up. I don't call the stage anchoring like this is my spot. So it kind of changes just for my own. So I'm not a robot up there. So I have a spot on stage, which is usually right in front of the mic center where you'd expect where I throw heaters. What does that mean? Like throw bulletproof material. I've done on TV shows and specials. It's not nothing new. It's just sometimes when you flip it in an autopilot and here's the greatest hits, I have that area. Then I have a spot that I will try newer stuff. So I'll take the mic out of the stand and just move to the left or to the right. It's just always what feels comfortable, right? So I'll move over there and that's where I'll try some newer stuff or hey, I was just thinking about this today and say some stuff. But I know I have my safe spot heater that if that stuff doesn't go well, I'll go back into that center spot and people already know whatever I'm saying there crushes. This is all on a like, subconscious level. Of course, nobody's thinking he's walking to the middle of the stage. <laughs> it's going to be funny now. A great, you know, use the term anchoring. Anchoring with stand-up is so huge and everybody does it but nobody really notices. Sure. Anchoring as a stand-up is, we'll either say a word or do a movement where you go, this is where you're supposed to laugh. You know, Ron White, he's got a drink in his hand. And every time the punchline comes and they're laughing, he takes a sip. So then you do that. That's just one example. And every comic has one. The punchline doesn't even have to be that funny. It's like the cue. You can manipulate. You can try to anyway. Where you can have a thing where they don't necessarily, that's obvious. Right. That one's an obvious. Standing in a certain place, you know, I'm trying to visualize people listening, taking the mic stand like it's a train lever. I mean, you can't, oh, look, ha, ha, ha. You know, there's some subtlety. So I'll anchor the stage for new stuff. And then I have a place that I anchor the stage for if I'm talking to somebody in the crowd. Say, hey, so what do you do? I'll go over there. Because sometimes when I'm done talking to you, what do you do? I do this, blah, blah, blah. When I just want to be done, then I'll physically move out of that area into one of the other ones. So that it's clear that that's over. Yeah, we're done with this. And then I have, you know, certain, I can't stay in the crowd and you guys aren't into me. I got that spot. Really? Yeah. You have like the whole, (laughs) everyone hates me right now. I'm just going to finish this. Yeah, I have the, um, like a little kid. I'm going to go sit in my bedroom. And a lot of people do it. If you're on stage or let's say, you're, I don't know, you're selling back of the room sales, there's ways that people anchor their books. I saw a guy I'm doing a show on like one of these, how to be an entrepreneur, like sure. one of these weekend things. And this guy has his DVD set right to the left of him. And he goes, remember when your parents were like, and he looks, he points in the opposite directions of his DVDs and goes, Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you. Blah, 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 blah. And he does a whole spiel. Then he goes, now, could you imagine if somebody went and he turns and his product is right there. Right. Now he's pointing at his product going, I need you. Once I have you, then my life will. And he did that. so manipulative. He kind of did it bad because I noticed right off off the thing. But he was literally just pointing almost at his stuff, not even trying not to. I tried an experiment and I have no, like, there's not an exit poll of when did you decide to buy John Heffern's album? Sure. After the show? Like, I don't have that thing, but I would purposely tell like comics, hey, I saw this guy. He was, I'm going to try it for the show. I would take my CD or whatever merch I was selling at the time and I would set it on the stool. And every time I would get a laugh, I would take my hand and literally point at it. Yeah. Okay. Just because I thought it was hilarious, not because it was manipulating. You can split test that and you might not actually see any uptick in sales whatsoever from pointing at it. So it's less manipulative when it's at the comedy CD at the show you're at. It's more manipulative when you're telling people you'll be valued if you buy my DVD. So I, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's yeah, a little yeah. bit of a different sort of technique there. I'm fine with people pointing to their product if they're selling a comedy CD and they're doing comedy. It's different if you're trying to tell people they're going to have financial freedom. I have personal problems with people that try to sell things like financial freedom or uh, MLM or something. It's always a thing is like, you guys learned a lot at this seminar, boy, you really, but you know what? To lock in, to really, now a lot of you people, you're not gonna do it. Cause it's a- You're not a real go-getter. Yeah, it's, it's a whole special people that, and you're just there going, I need to sign up for the next thing. 
I wish I could do that as a comic. Just be like, you know what, people? I gave you a lot of the setups for this show. The next show, the punchlines that I have that are going to build on the stuff you heard today. It's going to yeah. be unbelievable. And you know what? Right now in the back of the room, we're selling tickets to my next show. Normally, they're $75,000. Tonight, 15 bucks. 15 bucks. Cash and only. If you're not willing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. You're listening to The Art of Charm with Jordan Harbinger and our guest, John Heffron. We'll get right back to the show after a brief word from our sponsors. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Thank you for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. To learn more about our sponsors, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now let's get back to Jordan and John Heffron. You can do all kinds of terrible things short of apparently sexual <laughs> harassment, but you can get away with a lot because you can do it under the guise of comedy, which is always a, a huge advantage. On that same token, I noticed that, in, and we talked about this pre-show, you never say how are you guys doing tonight? Because that lets the audience kind of answer with, we're okay, except for the last seven comics were super boring and I got to pee, right? You program the audience to enjoy the show. How do you do this? Yeah, this sounds like, and I'm not being a tool here, just they don't get a lot of input. They get input when I'm talking to them and stuff, but they don't get to dictate, they don't get to play the chords. And new comics always get on stage because if you take it back to the offstage, before show starts, there's always some sound kid going, you guys ready to have a good time tonight? Clap, clap, clap. Come on, you can do better than that. It's Friday, first show, come on. And then the MC gets on stage. Hey, you guys in a good mood tonight? Clap, clap, come on, you guys can do some. Give now. it up one more time. They've yeah. been asked how they're doing, minimum four or five times. And they're like, wow, we showed up. So far, we've done our job. Start the freaking comedy <laughs> yeah, already, yeah. yeah. Because if I ask you a question, you cannot not answer it in your head, right? So if I'm like, What's the name of an elephant? And now I'm going to keep talking. Gumbo. Yeah, yeah, you already, you're like, I can't have this open loop in my head. Oh, yeah. I need to answer the question that you just asked, even if it was a rhetorical. You know, you got to figure 40% of everybody in that room doesn't want to be there because they're with somebody who said we yeah. should go out. My wife made me come to this bullshit comedy so I show. I never give people the option to kind of figure out their lives right there. You're, you're turning off the critical thinking. I tell them exactly. And I'm a big believer and sometimes people, you know, just want to be validated for the decisions that they made. So the first thing I'll do, and I'm not not being genuine, I get on stage, I'm like, you guys sound great. You're going to have a good time. You made a good decision coming out tonight. I appreciate that. That's it. I didn't not want to go, where are my drinkers at? And by validating people, even, you know, when you're in some city and second show Friday, this I can have some litmus tests. I've seen people sit up straighter when I've gone, you guys have made a good decision. So that's what I do with that is I always tell them you guys are in a great mood or I tell them exactly what I need them to do. I had older bits I haven't done in a while, but I used to do this little move where I would go, I travel with my family, but I even forgot how I did it. But I would look at the crowd and go, do you remember how your dad looked the night before you went on vacation? 
And then I would go, just think about that guy for a second. Then I would go and I would do the bit, right? I'd go, my dad, da, 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 whatever. After my shows, I would have people come up to me going, that bit you did about traveling with your dad, you describe my dad perfectly. I just think that's like, if you're telling a story, you can have the audience or, you know, your listeners or again, applying it to whatever, you can have them do some mental work on their end. Because they're going to think of it anyway. If you go, so remember when your dad traveled? They're going to think about their dad. Now, everybody's memory, if they had a horrible dad, sure, like yeah. that, you know you're going to get that. You get people crying in the back. That was not what the bit was for. <laughs> yeah. How I've done it wrong is I had an old bit where I would go, something about traveling all day. Like your parents kicked you out of the house and we would be gone. I would talk about you know growing up in Michigan, how we leave at 7 a.m. And it'd be 7 p.m. We'd come home. Nobody went looking for us. We were gone for 12 hours. Nobody cared. Sure. I go, it was safe back then. I would go, think about your kids going missing for 12 oh, hours. Oh, no. And then I would go, you know that feeling you're getting in your gut? My parents never had that feeling. That's what I thought the joke was. Right? Sure. And my buddy who, a lot of the stuff that I'm telling you, I would go to his speaker trainings. He's one of my best friends. He was at my show. He used to do hypnosis a long time ago, just in the 80s. But he goes, you know why your next joke after you do that one about your kids being gone never gets a laugh? Because you ask them to think about their kids getting kidnapped Jeez. and then you never close that. Right, yeah. It's just sitting there and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, shit, where are my kids right now? Yeah. How well do I know that babysitter? You didn't realize like how important words are and how if people are painting pictures with your words, how it all matters. Yeah, that's funny. I never thought about that, but it's totally true because you, you even do it when you're watching TV. If you wonder whether or not your brain will do this, there's going to be a time when you're listening to a podcast, you're watching television, you're watching a sitcom, and your brain goes off in this direction. And now that everything's on demand, it's when you pause it and you just go, I'm going to process this and then go take a leak. You just have this thing going on in your head where you realize you can't pay attention to the dialogue anymore. You've got to actively avoid those in comedy because as soon as you lose someone, the odds of them coming back onto the comedy train and getting the callback jokes, I mean, it's pretty much near zero, right? With my actors, because I get a lot of, did you grow up in my family? I sounds like I married your wife. So I see a lot of couples will start pointing at each other going, you know, you do that. And sometimes some of the bits I'll have to stop because I know everybody is now off on their own. Then that's when I'll go in the crowd and go, I saw you kind of punch him. Does he do whatever? Then I'll kind of go off. If you see the crowd react, does that invite you to then go, okay, I got to do crowd work because if I just go off into another bit, it's not There's a couple, happen. sometimes it just, it just has to happen and that I can never call it, but I'll look, I'll kind of, almost like a turn, I have leading questions that when I go to the couple, I know how to get them to fight. Well, can not, you give us an example? Not, not fight, not obviously, fight. but yeah. But I'll, a funny what I'll do is like, if I'm doing material and I see like one couple doing a lot of pointing at each other or whatever, I know that's the couple that relates to me the most. So I know now I'm going to see three couples doing that. I'm going to talk to one of those three, not the couple that's in a horrible relationship with their arms crossed. They're at their like post-divorce lawyer. Yeah, show. yeah, they're not because everything's <laughs> yeah. too close. Like, so I'll stay yeah. away from that. I will look at a couple in the crowd and say, what's the one thing that he does that you guys fight about? Like I used to say fight and get in arguments, I would use those words and I would never get anybody to respond to me. Yeah, because it's too serious. I actually had this, and not doing a bit to not be organic, but I said, what was a, your last argument you guys got into, or big fight? It's how I used to word it. The woman goes, our last big fight? And I could just, her tone? She goes, probably when he cheated on me. Oh God, that's like the last- Right, yeah. so the crowd now, Every woman in this people is all looking at this guy. Oh, this guy's literally sitting in the front row. It's the worst thing that could have possibly happened. I wasn't going to throw this guy under the bus. It's not mine. Like, no. I was hoping. Oh, he, he never puts a toothpaste <laughs> yeah, on. That's all I wanted. On, yeah. I wanted some. That's the answer that I want. I said to the guy, I'm like, well, he brought you to a comedy club and bought you chicken tender. So. Oh, everything's cool. Yeah, everything's and cool. Like, and it just kind of obviously, and he ended up like getting up and leaving. But now I phrase that differently. I go, what's your reoccurring petty argument that even when you're married for another 30 years, 
you will still always be there. Do you see how that's a different reframe? It's totally different because now I'm not thinking it's something that made me actually angry. And I get some of the, a lot of the same answers, right? So then I have bits that I can go into when the woman says, yeah, he throws his clothes close to the hamper. Like there's a couple that I hear a lot that I now have bits for. So then that's where I get a little bit leading or I'll argue with the woman as if I was the guy's attorney, which is just funny. That is funny. I, I'll tell you what mine is. See, we ask a question. You cannot not answer. Right, now I can't not answer. <laughs> right, yeah. Our petty one is we have a car where you can turn the digital temperature thing. And it's never that cold in California, especially in San Jose. So it'll be a little cold and I want to turn the seat warmer on and I want to turn the car up to, I want it to be like 72 in the car or something like that. I want it to be warm. Jenny will turn it up to high. It just says high. It's like 89 (laughs) and and more. It's like Bikram yoga. Yeah. (laughs) And if you leave it on high for too long, the car readout will say it's like 104 degrees in the car. It's terrible. What you're supposed to do is turn the temperature down after you leave it on high to get it really hot. You turn it down to like 74 or you just turn it on 74 and the car knows to blow a lot of air and knows when to slow down because it's already hot. She just turns it off. She has two settings, high and off. And I'm like, tell the car what we want. And she just doesn't want to do that. She's stuck in 1992 where you have to turn it on full blast or off. And so we argue about that all the time. And she gets really pissed off because I'm like, you still don't still not listen to me about how the climate control in the car <laughs> right, works. Huh? Right. So we have these little like fights over and the people in the back are like, hey, I'm kind of sweating back here. And I'm like, well, we're freezing. So F you. So this question makes total sense because if you get them to think about something that they know is also petty, they don't get triggered emotionally and think, you know what, I'm still mad at my uh, husband about that time. And then it's just fun for me on stage is I try not to, and this is a newer thing, make broad strokes. I try not to go, men do this, women do this. It's it's hard because I started doing comedy when I was 17. And yeah, in the 80s. 90s or so. 80s, yeah, 90s. so kind of you're just used to only recently. Is that not okay? Yeah. yeah. So I try, and sometimes I get in my head, or I try not to use terms, you know, like like guys. Hey, guys. Yeah. But it's hard because it my whole life I've said that. And that's a unisex term, or it was. So I'll, I'll say that to the crowd. I can, like I said, that's how I get them to fight. And then I'll, I'll take the guys thing. I'll try to think of an example of whatever the guy's doing that gets the wife mad, that there's probably the exact thing that she's doing that's the same exact move. Huh, okay, interesting. But a lesson of all me rambling right there is words matter. There's things to, so that I also do on stage, and this is if you're speaking, you can do it, where you can change the meaning of what you're saying by what you're doing with your physical presence on stage. Like, so this, you're going to just have to, I guess, really pay attention because obviously. Yeah, or get our YouTube clips. Yeah, you're, you're listening. But let's say there's a couple moves that I do when I'm on stage. Now, again, I want to preface this. This seems like I'm methodical. It's like you're playing a guitar and there's no chords and you're just riffing. So I just want to make sure I'm not a turn. I will now step to the left. Yeah, case. yeah, I'm not. And mostly back, two, yes. three, four. I'm not one of those guys, but there's a couple moves I do with my hands where if you say something, let's say I'm talking to the couple who are arguing and I said something that I shouldn't have, or let's say was a little something where I was just like, ah, that was my first response. I probably right. shouldn't have said that. Out let's loud. pretend that. I've, never I, yeah. I, I've just, sometimes you're thinking fast. You just say dumb. Sure. Things. Yeah. Just like story of my life. Most of the edits that are going to be made in shows like this are Those exact types of comments. But I do stuff with my hands. Like one, just if you're visualizing it, it's, I almost call it the Jesus with your wrist and your hands just straight out. I apologize or because usually very vulnerable when you're like that is you're very forgiving. Like, hey, I couldn't be more open to you guys. So that's one move. The other one is if you take your hands and put your hands together palms in and it's almost like you're moving hands across the table. Like you're smoothing out a piece of paper in front of you. Anything I say, this is concrete. Ladies, I 100% when a guy does this, when you see that hand motion, that's telling you this is some concrete info. Another one I do is I don't want to use Dane Cook as an example, but anytime you are not standing straight up and you get bladed 
right? You kind bladed? of bladed. Bladed. So let's say if I'm standing up and now you suddenly turn to your side. Like a hockey stop? Yeah, but you kind of get, your body gets goofy. If you're talking and you're trying to, let's say that's where the joke is. Like if I'm talking to you just like this and I'm doing a thing and then I'm like, suddenly I'm driving and this other guy was all like, hey man. It's almost like a football move. It's really hard to explain. But there's some comics that there's a lot, like Dane Cook's earlier stuff, he would get that. He's very physical, yeah. And when the joke was there, that's when his body would do just something weird. So sometimes if I'm writing a new joke or if I don't, maybe what I'm saying isn't that funny and I need to get done, you know, get back to my safe space in the middle, I'll do a little thing. So you do like a physical reset, basically? And then people just naturally always laugh at that. Because it's awkward? Is that why? I don't know why we're set up to laugh. (laughs) It's a little awkward. And then the last one I always do, I call it the Gordon Ramsay, where he takes his hand and he does that. Oh, you're listening to me right now. When you have your hand hand on on your chin, you know, I was always yelling. I'll do this when I'm talking to a heckler that I don't like. I'll put my hands like this. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'll start talking with my hands. But then when I'm done talking to him, I'll take my hands and I'll do a move. And then we're back. It's like you dispensed with this guy. We're done. So I do those hand motions and I'm doing it on podcast. It's amazing how if somebody's telling a story and you shout out those moves, do the Jesus. Do the thing, do the Gordon Ramsay, how the story will change, why people are talking. We'll be right back with more from Jordan and John Heffron after these quick messages. Thanks for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. For a list of all of our amazing sponsors and discounts, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now for the conclusion of our interview with John Heffron. You're changing the dynamic of the interaction because by definition, essentially, as a comic, being on stage, you're controlling the, the feeling in the room, whether you like to or not. So your body language matters, and it's going to lead or, away from Or even place. pointing. Like, there's the pointer where I don't point at the crowd. Like, I'm not a big pointer when I talk, but if I do, I'll point up or down. And even if I was talking to you on your podcast right now, and I'm talking about, hey, have you had the cupcakes? That it's a little, it's they a little aggressive, yeah. Even when, if I'm talking about cupcakes, the yeah. more I point, you just subconsciously are going to like, is this guy going to get his finger out of my face? Here's how I change. It's called, uh, I think I, it's called like a charisma pattern. Yeah, I like, I like this term that you use, charisma yeah, patterns. These I are like point, archetypes of yeah. certain types of audience members. It's so almost like if you take your finger and just, you're just making up and downs, mm-hmm. like a ski slope. You go down and then you're up and then you're down and you're up, right? So during a speech or any type of performance, going up, down, up, down like that changes and keeps people's interest. Like I didn't learn it this way, but this is how I think of it. There's three different types of people. Let's just keep the comedy club reference at the comedy club. There, there's people who are uh, high. Like literally high? I'm hot. And keep on, this is just a club and this is a horrible example, not how I learned it. Okay. But, so you have somebody who's listening to me in the crowd that's just high. You have somebody who's listening to me who's just drunk. And then you have somebody who's a little cranked out, maybe done a little coke. If those three people were at this table with me and you, there would be three different people talking and telling three different stories, three different Because there are different physical energy levels, right? And when I'm on stage, what I try to do is move in and out of those three, my whole show. Because if you stay in one too long, you lose the other two. And again, I don't go, this joke I'm going to do, this is just me. This one's for the cokeheads. Yeah, 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 I don't throw it. I'll just do bits different ways and they'll get laughs at different points or they won't get laughs, but I just, many experiments that I do. So sometimes I'll talk normal like this and I'll just do my bit. I talk pretty fast anyway. So this is almost even cranking it down for me. This is probably how normal people talk. Yeah. I feel like I'm purposely talking. Slowing it down. Or if I'm performing down south, if they hear my Michigan twang, I talk too fast for them. And they'll just not get me. So I'll I'll talk like this and I'll just do whatever I'm talking about. And then as I'm talking like this, for whatever reason, then I'll start maybe cranking it up a little bit. And then I'm talking like this and then my wife and then she wants something and she's putting the garbage by the door. Then all of a sudden, I'll drop it down here. Really? Even in the middle of a bit? Yeah, I'll go really, really high, like oh, crazy, crazy. And then she said this. And then I'll take it all the way down to really? that. But if you're giving a speech, that's usually the best place to give info that people will pay attention. 
Like if you have stats or whatever. So if you're writing a speech, you crank up that energy. And it doesn't have to be as exaggerated as I do it. But when you drop it here, this is where people take in info. And sometimes the joke won't get as big a laughs. Like it's more of a high, but I don't call it. I just yeah, do it sure. for fun for me. That's an interesting methodology. I love the idea of charisma patterns. I feel like they're archetypes or personality archetypes, even if they're just the archetype of the person in the room. How do you keep that up throughout the act? Are you paying attention consciously to, hey, there's three different types of people in here, or is this kind of a thing that you're using? No, this is me. Let's say if I'm doing a bit, I'll purposely, in my mind, go, I'm going to try to do this at a high level, and I'll just do it like crazy. And then when I get to the punchline, then I'll drop it low. You know, sometimes it works where I'll get done and go, boy, that bit got way more laughs yeah. when I did it slower. Well, you normally kind of take a mental note. Yeah, of and then I forget it by the next show. <laughs> but I, I do that all during the show. And plus, if I'm talking and I kind of hear other tables talking, then I'll talk like this. So you do react to the audience because it sounds like you program the audience a lot. But this is the, one of the first times or maybe maybe the first time or one of the first times where I've heard you talk about reacting to the audience seeing the audience or hearing the audience talk amongst themselves. Yeah, there's a couple, well, you can't plow through it. In any group, their subconscious group leaders, they don't know it, but they're leading, I don't have the right numbers on, like whatever, 20, yeah. 30 people, sure. let's just say that. So if you have somebody who's talking, just being a dick, 20, 30 people around them are focused on the person being an ass. You have some woman who's got a hilarious laugh but it's kind of distracting. Disruptive, yeah. You've lost that. So you have those group leaders and there's ways that if they're problems, you got to go into that group and you got to... How do you handle something like that? Like what? Because if she's not really laughing like that to get attention, but she's done yeah, that her whole sometimes life, what that are you just, gonna do? Yeah, you can't be an ass, but people are paying attention and then I'll anchor that, I'll anchor whatever that noise is to something positive towards me. I will say, hey, wouldn't it be great is every time you laugh like that, people thought about buying my CD after the show. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like I've speed dial and then it becomes a joke where I'll just anchor her laugh. Wouldn't it be great every time you laugh like that, a woman in the audience wants to be in dirty, like go down on her guy on the way, on the way home. <sighs> and then, uh, yeah. yeah. And so and I'll do that. But you're it, welcome, guys. You're <laughs> yeah, welcome. Exactly. Yeah. And make sure you tip her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so. I'll do that, but you have to, because sometimes you're at a club and the wait staff is loud. You're on stage and you hear. Do you want wings or do you want fries? You're, who has a barbecue? Yeah. Last call, like you hear that. But the club's different than a lot of stuff that we've been talking about. If you're doing a theater, if you're in a place where there's 2,000, 3,000 people, then there's adjustment for that. Same rules that I do, but things, you know, just kind of change. But I think those are the standard stuff. Can you do crowd work when there's 3,000 people in front of you? Because when I think comedy show, I think improv, there's 200, maybe 150 people in there. Yeah. Big one. Yeah, it's hard because one, you can't see them or you can't hear it. Like yeah. it drives me crazy when a comic will ask you, so uh, where are you from originally? I'm originally from Michigan. But the people over here go, I, yeah, what's I didn't going hear on? what he was saying. So then you got to repeat what they're saying. Yeah, it's like a Q&A for a class. Yeah, that's why. I the question is, where are you from? And the man said, South Lyon, Michigan. It's just <laughs> no longer funny at all. So you have to go in knowing I can do crowd work here or I can't do crowd work here. This crowd has been dealing with this before me. This is what's happening in the room. You've got to make a lot of adjustments on the fly because I think a lot of folks just think that a comic or a comedian goes up there, says a bunch of pre-scripted crap, that they've tested the end. They can, and they could even kill with it. That just on my end bores me. Sure. Well, I sure. enjoy adding all the stuff that we've been talking about. Even like we said in the very first, I think, minute or two, even if it doesn't matter, it makes the show more interesting for me to do. So I'm not just yeah, saying bits that I've done for 20 cities before. And I've had situations where I've tried all that stuff and I've, bombed horribly how do you handle that like your club let's say i get on stage and i say something weird like or i'm just too aggressive and the audience is like i don't know if i like this guy and then i'm plowing through material i'm like why have i not had a connection with you yeah then i'll stop a reset how do you do that how do you reset sometimes i'll literally stop and i won't try to do bits 
and then I'll just go, man, you guys, your city that you were, they, but I had a really good time that you've been to that local tea place, and then I'll jump back in. So you literally have to go, all that stuff I had planned to say, scrap that. I got it. It's not working. Yeah, for whatever reason. Let's talk about Six Flags. I was too on stage. Interesting. What causes that? I don't know. Like, sometimes I've done it because my act is friendly on stage mm-hmm. where just off the cuff, like, I'll get on stage and I'll always say something. Just as that rapport building, just like, hey, everybody, I'm John. You guys are you. Let's better it Like, I'll say something. But sometimes if I'm legit mad, let's say I'm at a club and I order food and I'm starving. And I see the, them bringing me the food as I'm walking on stage. Like, even a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, I guess my chicken tenders got here. I guess they couldn't get it there before. I was legitimately being an asshole. And I said it out loud. And the crowd was like, F this guy. Oh, man. Your tone That's rough. and how you say it makes a huge difference. Where then, like, did I do something? You know you're going to piss people off somehow, but sometimes you just only find out later. Yeah. You got to fix that live, on stage, in real time, or on television. I've had stuff where when you're on TV, if you're doing a Tonight Show or something, you have four and a half minutes. Like, there's no time to do. You can't do any setups. Anything that I just yeah. don't do. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you literally, it's so... That's only where you mentally just taking care of yourself is the only thing you can do. You leave your body. There's no connection. I've never done one TV show where I felt connected. It was almost like you're just, and then my wife, and then thank you. On Netflix now, it's called the Brad Paisley Comedy Rodeo. He had like five comics on. And the audience showed up to see Brad Paisley. I don't even think they knew it was a comedy show being taped for Netflix. They're like, why is there this other guy now? He was singing songs. And then you, as the comic, you walked out on stage, interrupted him. There was some banter. He turns, walks off stage, you perform. So everybody starts off hating you because you're interrupting Brad Paisley. Yes, the first show. So people are just staring at, what does Brad Paisley look like when he's walking off stage? People are still staring at him. And now you're already on stage. You have to pick up from there. So there's a... Whose oh, idea was that? This is Brad's. It was his. <laughs> what are you going to do? Such you a know? mistake. And then so I thought for sure, I'm like, they're going to edit this weird moment. Good 30 seconds of you staring, I'm at, staring, staring yeah, at the crowd. No, that's exactly what it was. And then I'm like, so I got a text from my wife. Oh, and I my God. <laughs> So on that type of stuff, here's what I'll, I'll just tell you my worst bombing. Because you don't remember the 30 years of awesome shows. Right, no. Just beat yourself up. That's what's important. Yeah, I don't remember. I never think about winning Last Comic Standing. It's never even a thought in my head that night. But Yeah, you're only as good as the last one you screwed up. So I'm in Montreal, and we're doing a gala with the Muppets. The Muppet Show is back together. First time in 25 years, the Muppet Show is going to be on TV. So it's legit Fozzie, Kermit. It's legit the Muppets. So you're on the Muppet set. Now, if you're a kid going, are you kidding me? I'm going to be on the Muppet show? Like, that's insane. So there's a huge wall and you get introduced like Kermit. Sounds like I'm an adult talking about this, but Kermit (laughs) introduces you. Yeah. This is how it's supposed to go. Wall comes up and you walk 50 yards. I mean, it's from the back of the stage to the front. It's a long walk. It's like a long, awkward walk. It's a long walk. But usually the other comics, the thing came up. Let's hear it for Bob. And the crowd's clapping and you walk to the mic. Why there's noise and people clapping. So was that the, so Kermit introduces me and the wall doesn't go up and I'm standing there. I hear people clapping. It was like a stage manager guy, just always like physically holding you. And then when you're supposed to go, they like move your hand. So people clapping, people clapping, no wall. I look at him and I go, do you want me to just walk around? You know, I'm trying to get out there. He's like, no, just stay. Could care less. Clapping stops. Maybe 20 seconds goes by. Oh, man. So watch this. See how uncomfortable that was? And that was probably two seconds. Two seconds, yeah. So let's add 20 to that. So then the wall goes up. And you hear I have dress shoes on. And it's, it's like, it's, <laughs> you hear, you hear my feet walking just in dead silence in front of 5,000 people. You hear me walking to the mic. And the second I got to the you mic. You touch it, it's like. Yeah. yeah. So the second I got oh, to the mic. man. I went. Now, this is neglects everything we've talked about. I look at the crowd and I go, you don't think you could have clapped? I was so pissed. Oh, I'm man. I'm like, I go, do you just see what I just had to do there? 
I walked to silence. I thought I was being like funny, but they were Canadians. Oh, you know, no. in Montreal. They thought you were really yeah, mad. Being an asshole. Yeah. yeah Detroiter oh, guy and stuff like that. Oh, now he wants us to clap, eh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. What's I, this all about? Turn it back out. Yeah. yeah. I want to hear Rainbow Connection again. Yeah. You got to be careful because when you engineer these shows, you got to think about every minute of silence or every minute of like, Hey, how's he going to get up there? Oh, there's no stairs. Oh, someone's going to have to help him up. Oh, well, he's going to be wearing a suit. He's not going to be able to climb up awkwardly on of three and a half. That silence, eight. I sometimes I will lay in bed and think about that walk. And you're just slowly and it happened years ago. everything up. Yeah, nobody cares. When it aired, nobody saw any of that. But yeah. John, thank you so much I for really coming on the show, the man. I really appreciate the time. I babbled a lot on this one. You know, it's a lot of info. There's a lot of info. I don't think you babbled very much. I think there's a lot of info. I think a lot of it people have to kind of go back and collect because we do talk about nonverbal communication. We do talk about body language. We talk about persuasion. There's a lot of NLP nuances in here. So if someone's going, I don't care how this guy does comedy, the real nuggets are the reasons behind what you're doing and the reasons that you've come up with these techniques by reading crowds, by seeing what gets a laugh or gets a certain result. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it can not... be applied to your teacher, your attorney. Absolutely. You're giving a speech, you're, yeah. you're selling Girl Scout, whatever. Like you said, anytime There's you're nothing talking Nothing that to I do, you can apply to what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Great big thank you to John. He's got some funny stuff. We will link to some of that in the show notes here. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank him on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes. And tweet at me your number one takeaway from John Heffron. I thought this was a really good inside look at how he, as a comedian, thinks, how he operates on stage, how he breaks down the audience, and thinks about verbal and nonverbal communication. This stuff is fascinating in this context especially. So I hope you enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. Tweet at me your number one takeaway from John Heffron. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. I'm also on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. Don't forget, we have worksheets for today's episode so you can make sure you solidify your understanding of all the key takeaways from each guest on the show. Of course, this one is no exception. That link is in the show notes at theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. Transcriptions by transcriptionoutsourcing.net. And I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. If you can think of anyone who might benefit from the episode you've just heard, please pay us the highest compliment and pay it forward by sharing this episode with that person. It only takes a moment and great ideas are meant to be shared. So share the show with friends and enemies and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.